You're listening to Spice Radio, 1200 AMs, The Morning Buzz, and we are speaking to Charlie Smith, the editor of Vancouver. Charlie, how are you this morning? Oh, I'm doing well, thanks. I'm Karen. I hope all's well at Spice Radio. We're doing very well, Charlie, and I'm very excited to talk about today's topics. Let's get into it. So Canada has voted in favor of a non-binding United Nations resolution that calls for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war. Now, this is really big, right, because we talked about this a couple weeks ago, Charlie, how we've definitely seen a lot of Canadians have been speaking up, calling for the Prime Minister to take a stance on this, and here you go, now a stance has been taken. So what do you make of this move and what does it mean? Well, I think it's, it's, it's very significant and it, I think it reflects the uh, political pressure that Canada is facing, um, the Prime Minister is facing from people who are horrified by what they're seeing on the news uh, every day in terms of and the, and the, the rising death toll in, uh, in Gaza as a result of Israel's response to what happened on October 7th. Um, I think the uh, perception is, uh, among many, is that um, the response has been um, very extreme and very heavy-handed in terms of, and and even uh, hostages' families are upset. Um, At the same time, there's domestic politics in Israel, and the attacks that occurred on October 7th were so horrific, just mass slaughters of of seniors, babies, uh, kidnappings, um, that that there is a a real desire on the part of Israel to eliminate Hamas. So so that's the backstory. But for Canada to do this, what I found very interesting as well, though, was that um, the Canadian government, along with Australia and New Zealand, had issued a statement prior to the vote in which they said a bunch of things that were not part of the resolution, i.e. criticizing what happened on October 7th and criticizing Hamas. And and it was almost like they voted for the, as Chantelet Bear said, uh, the Toronto Star political columnist that, they voted for the resolution, but that statement that they had previously put out was an asterisk to the statement. Uh, I mean, the resolution, uh, because the resolution uh, wasn't sufficiently critical of Hamas uh, for the Canadian government. But the other aspect is there's the politics, I think, of what's going on where Joe Biden is also under intense pressure, and he could lose Michigan as a result in the um, upcoming presidential election, because there's a large Muslim population in Michigan, and uh, they're furious about his support for Israel. And so Biden is trying to get the Israelis to moderate, uh, you know, the the magnitude of their attacks. Like in one case, there's a report about, you know, a 2,000-pound bomb being dropped on a refugee camp to try to kill um you know, Hamas leader, uh, the Americans, when they do it, they use drone, drone attacks and, and, you know, shoot vehicles with people in them rather than dropping 2,000-pound bombs on villages to try to kill one one enemy combatant. So so that's kind of the what's going on here. And I think um, the problem 
that Biden is facing, and I think Trudeau wants to help Biden, is that uh, his reelection could be in jeopardy as a result of this, because the people who are applauding what's happening in Israel, um, you know, it's it, I don't think Biden's going to lose any votes from them, or a lot of them might even support the Republicans already. Uh, but where he's going to lose his votes are from people who, who would like to see, you know, a solution, a peaceful solution to this this mess in the Middle East, and look at um, the history of what's happened, and look at it kind of in its totality and say enough is enough. So, so that's kind of where it's at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I and I think it's right now it is a very complicated time. So let's see what will end up happening, you know, especially with this immediate humanitarian ceasefire that was being called. Another story, Charlie, moving here locally, uh, Mayor Vancouver, Mayor Vancouver, Ken Sims wants to do away with the park board and it's causing a lot of drama and mixed reactions. So what's happening here, Charlie? Yeah, you know, it's really hard to figure out where this is coming from because there are people who would like to see uh, the park board's wings clipped. Um, But there are also people who have a deep love for the park board who are reacting, including many former commissioners and and existing commissioners against his own party. The history of the park board is it was a colonial creation in the 19th century where (laughs) the burghers of the city would get around a table and decide which areas of land they wanted to to set aside for their own enjoyment. Often this land was occupied by indigenous people, and and in the case of Stanley Park, they were forcefully evicted. Um, Indigenous place names disappeared. Uh, Indigenous people were never offered a seat at the table. If you look at New Zealand, um, since the 19th century, uh, the Maori have had representation in Parliament, for instance. There was never anything like that in Vancouver. Uh, and in Canada. So this board was elected. Uh, they sit at a round table. They did a lot of things democratically, including um, uh, eliminating the captivity of whales and dolphins at Stanley Park, uh, a whole bunch of other things, Lodell Conservatory, and you know, creating a, a, a beautiful park system. The challenge now is the province wants to build housing, that's their number one priority. It's pretty clear. You've got a situation like Langara Golf Course, which is this massive swath of land right beside a $2 billion rapid transit station. You've got Langara College wanting to expand, but you've got an elected park board that won't give up an inch of this property without a fight. Um, nobody's saying, oh, we're going to take the Langara Golf Course and convert it to housing or expand Langara College. But I think these are objectives of the provincial government. Um, You also have the Attorney General, Nikki Sharma, a former Park Board Chair who understands the Park Board very well. And uh, so, so it looks like the province now is going to go along with the city's request. We don't even know if the province went to the city and wants the city to abolish the park board, or if it's Ken Sim himself who wants to abolish the park board, he's saying it's him, and he's taking a lot of flack for it. But you never know what's going on at the provincial and, and 
municipal level and the province holds a lot of cards and um, there's there's a lot at stake here. So the other thing about the park board going on because I've covered it for so many years, which I find really interesting is it's launched a lot of major political careers in hmm. BC, including Grace McCarthy, a former deputy um, premier who brought a sky train, the BC Place Stadium, all these things. Uh, Nikki Sharma, the first uh, um, South Asian attorney general. You've got uh, George Puel, a longtime city councillor. Suzanne Anton, a former attorney general. Spencer Chandler Herbert, who's a longtime MLA. Um, and the park board was a great training ground for them. And and so it has been uh, kind of at the cornerstone of democracy in Vancouver. So it, it's complicated. Yes. <laughs> There's, there's a lot of history there, clearly. And I and I think what, for me, just kind of like looking at this from the outside, too, is just the fact that it is drawing in such a mixed reaction and a lot of people have thoughts on it. And some people don't even like how the uh, mayor sort of even approached it, kind of making it seem like he's just pushing for it. He wants it. So I just, I just think the whole thing is quite something. So I'm sure this is going to be something we're going to continue to talk about here, Charlie. Um, finally, Charlie, you mentioned, very interesting, there is an upcoming talk at SFU in the new year that is exploring pretendians now for those who aren't familiar first of all what does that term mean and what is the talk all about oh the, the speaker is, is dr kim Tallbear, who's a canada research chair and uh, her specialty is she's in the faculty of native studies at university of alberta and her her talk is actually called beyond diversity and inclusion in the academy restoring indigenous land and life but what she's famous for probably more than anything, is exposing people who um, pretend that they're indigenous. And there's a long list of them at high high levels. Um, you've got the author Joseph Boyden. You've got uh, the former um, advocate uh, uh, Mary Ellen Terpel-Lafond, who was the, uh, for children and youth, um, the, the officer of the legislature. Now, more recently, there was Buffy St. Marie, the CBC documentary that uh, Kim Tallbear was one of the key expert commentators on. Um, she's uh, was cited repeatedly in this uh, landmark report called Indigenous Identity Fraud. And so she, she feels like it's, it's the final act of theft in a long history of multiple layers and strategies of theft that, uh, you know, she created this chart called the eight stages of white settler colonial denial. And, um, so, so she's, she's quite a major indigenous intellectual. Mm. Sounds very fascinating, very timely, of course, like you said, with everything going on, especially. And I think the part that just kind of blows my mind, especially when we talk about Buffy, is the fact that you have folks who tend to do this quite often. And it sometimes surprises me that they continue to do it, not thinking, you know, they could get away with it. And like you were saying, Charlie, with Buffy, she got away with it for like 50 years. So I don't know what that says. But yeah, definitely <laughs> worth checking, right? Like, how are people still doing this? It, it, it's there are thousands of them out there, too, yeah. according to Kim Tallbear, that People are, are adopting the garb of indigeneity when they're not indigenous, or they might have like one ancestor who was indigenous, but they don't have the lived experience. They didn't go through the de- um, things like their 
family members, residential schools, and all of the uh, kind of intergenerational trauma, discrimination in the job market, and and all these uh, horrible things. Um, and yet, they're claiming indigenous. They're indigenous. In, in Buffy St. Marie's case, she wins the Juno for the best indigenous mm-hmm. recording. Well, that means there's an indigenous person who doesn't get the the award. Exactly. Uh, It's quite something. Charlie, though, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. You take care. Oh, my pleasure. Have a wonderful weekend.